around nine minutes past the hour here on Faith Radio Mornings. One of my favorite times of the week here on a Wednesday morning like this is to be joined by Bill English in studio, who is the longest-running in-studio guest for Faith Radio Mornings. Yeah. Bill, that's quite a title that you hold here. I, I didn't know that that was a title, but yeah, it's been, uh, I'm on my, what, fifth year, sixth year, something like that. Yeah, you've seen a lot of different iterations of the show, a lot of programming, and yet you've yes, had a I consistent have. voice about business and Bible. And I learned last week, Bill, that you actually have a Master's of Divinity degree and that you have some fluency in Hebrew. Do I have that correct? That is correct. I have uh, both of them are uh, an MA in psychology yep. and an MDiv, both of them from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Well, I love your perspective and how you bring so much of the Bible into our lives as business people as well. And before we get into some of the topics out of Ecclesiastes, I want to ask you just about our partial government shutdown. We had a person mm-hmm. on the program at the end of last hour, Hugh Welchel of the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, and he was making the point that government never really seems to get smaller. You sort of get used to a way of life. You get used to the amount of people that you have. I know as private families, we get used to the amount of money that we have. It gets really hard to cut back, doesn't it? And what and, and what Hugh's point was is that as difficult as the shutdown is right now, and it's impacting so many people, and, and to stay mindful of that, and yet he was making the point as well that uh, our government has gotten so large that uh, maybe having some people move from government to private enterprise would be a better situation overall for our country. Our government is too entwined in our economy, in my opinion. Our government has too much scope and influence. But like any other organism, uh, government has a self-interest. And all organisms have a self-interest towards uh, growth, towards self-preservation, so forth and so on. And so uh, as as difficult as the shutdown is for the 800,000 people who I sympathize with, who are not getting paychecks, the reality is that they live a life different than everybody else because the government rarely doesn't pay them. If they go out into private sector, they'll find out that uh, jobs are never secure. I don't care what company you're at, big or small, and uh, they would find out that life is more uncertain. And so government jobs bring a lot of certainty because the the government has the power uh, to use the force of law to take money from you and me and give it to them for work and for for their labor, right? So uh, my my opinion is that this is showing just how intertwined government is with our economy and with our society, um, and I think it's too much. Well, a private enterprise bill can run at a loss or maybe some deficit spending for a short period of time with the prospect of investing in future growth because private yeah. enterprise can create wealth and create growth, and the government just doesn't have that same capacity to create growth in that way. So this ongoing deficit spending and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and being in the red every year by billions of dollars gets pretty tricky long-term for any kind of enterprise. Yeah, but what can government create? I mean, think about it. Government can create money. And so if government wants to, they can just turn up the printing presses or sell more treasuries or do whatever it is that they want to do, and they can create money. I mean, the, the, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve in 2007 was something like uh, $800 million, and today it's something like $5.2 trillion. That's amazing. You know, the, the, the Federal Reserve just created money. And what I'm surprised at is, is that we haven't had hyperinflation. And I think the reason for that is because we haven't had enough velocity on that money to move it around the economy enough to create it. But uh, in in the long run, the government has the power to do what it wants to do, and it can damage whoever it wants to damage except itself. Hmm. Uh, now, in our society, in the way things work, it damages business too much. It'll end up damaging itself. But I, I think those are long-term trends that most 
current day politicians on both sides of the aisle don't really care about. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that this conversation between you and me reveals is how much money really does, as the saying goes, makes the world go round, unfortunately, uh, for so many of us. And as we talk about money this morning and some lessons from Ecclesiastes 5 that you've developed and sent, uh, one of those first lessons from that uh, chapter in Ecclesiastes is that if you love money and wealth, you'll never have enough. And we see this again in families. We see this in private enterprise. We see this in the government. If that is your focus, there's never a level of satisfaction that you get to. Yeah, and for and on the government front, if you love power, you'll never have enough. Right. Right. And we've seen men throughout the years and women throughout the years who love power and just never had enough. So if you don't have enough money and you love it, you'll 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 never have enough. So what's the answer? Right. Don't love money. Right. Right. And it, and that's tricky to do because there is a sense in which we believe in the illusory stability of it. We think if we just have enough money, our lives are going to be stable and fine. Moving forward, we'll be safe and provided for and protected. And that is such an illusion because then when that bubble bursts, as it inevitably does for so many, it, you're left in sort of the rubble and, and your whole view of what creates safety is really called into question. Yeah. Uh, what what this, this this whole concept of financial security I recoil against because I think it's a farce. I think being financially secure is a farce, and I don't care who you are. Uh, and I'll, I know all the financial planners out there right now are probably yelling at their radios and, and disagreeing with me, and, and that, that's fine. But as Christians, uh, our security should never be in our finances. It should be in the Lord. And it just seems to me that when Christians run around and say, hey, you can become financially secure, to me that is a lie. It is an absolute lie because the Bible tells us that wealth is fleeting. Wealth can go away today. And there are things happening in this economy, and I think of the national debt like you alluded to earlier. There are things happening in this economy now that if, if the right triggers were to be put into place, everybody's wealth could be wiped out in a matter of a few weeks. So don't... Don't place your, I mean, be be uh, prudent about how you uh, plan your money, but don't place your security in it. Yeah, so what is it? Because we have to deal with our finances day in and day out as people in families and in businesses, Bill. Yeah. And so this isn't uh, an invitation to stop thinking about money in any way, shape, or form. No, but it sounds no. like you're inviting us to reframe our understanding and our relationship with money as we use it to somehow, and it sounds like it needs to be a pretty regular practice to be able to say, I'm not going to find my security in the money, even though I have to deal with it day in and day out. Yeah, it's a tool. It's it's a method of barter and exchange, and there is a proper place for saving for the future so that when you are older and you can't work as much, uh, you have some resources there. And on the flip side of this, Bill, I think about the people who are living paycheck to paycheck and maybe wondering where the next meal might come from. And, and so it's one thing to speak from the perspective, maybe as you and me are this morning, that while things can get rough financially, I'm not currently concerned, in fairness, about uh, eating later today. But boy, it's a different standpoint. I got to say, if you're wondering about where the next paycheck is going to come and what happens from that, and it, it does, this is a trickier situation maybe than we're even aware of. You know, I came out of my business in 2014 with a whole truckload of debt hmm. because I had to sell it at a loss. So I'm not a rich man. Yeah. So I know what it's like to live hand to mouth. Been doing it literally for about six years now. Uh, you, you, it's a really tough place, but an enviable place to be when your, uh, when your security, when you're genuinely resting in your trust in God to provide for you, <clears throat> when you realize that your job is not as secure as God's promises, when you realize 
that uh, that God loves you more than you love yourself, for heaven's sakes, and that he has promised to provide, there's a security there that you can't get any other way. Yeah, it's there's so much to this. It, it really is more complex than just some of the sound bites of just do X and Y and your life will be happy and peaceful. There's a lot to all this. And Bill, we'll take a short break and uh, continue to get into Ecclesiastes 5 a little bit. That first point being that uh, from verses 10 and 11, if you love money and wealth, you'll never have enough. The next point from verse 11 is that if you do have some wealth, it can attract, uh, in, in your description, some human leeches. And how do we handle that when people maybe want to be in relationship with a person who has money and some of the situation of that? So we'll get Bill English's insight on those topics and more next on Faith Radio Mornings. about 20 minutes past the hour and we're having a conversation with Bill English of BibleandBusiness.com this morning about some lessons we can learn from Ecclesiastes 5. Bill, before the break, we talked a little bit about loving money and wealth. And if you do, you will never have enough. It's sort of this illusion that we lean into for our sense of contentment and peace. Another lesson we can learn from Ecclesiastes 5 from verse 11 is that wealth really has a capacity to attract people around us that may otherwise not want to be in relationship with people of wealth. But boy, they start coming like like uh, moths to a flame at that point, don't they? Yeah, you remember the Blood, Sweat, and Tears song from the 60s? Yes, of course. <clears throat> Whenever you have money, you have lots of friends, right? <laughs> that's a very true. Yeah, so what do you see in, in this situation, too? If you are a person that's listening this morning and you have some money and, and people are coming around you for that reason and they'll leave you just as quickly if you don't, well, how do you handle this kind of situation? I, I What I suggest is that you say, I only donate to, <clears throat> excuse me, to organizations I don't necessarily donate to individuals. Hmm. Uh, and that way, uh, people understand that, that you're going to work with organizations who work with people rather than just trying to hand out a 20 or a 50 or $100 bill here and there. Yeah, a, a somewhat related item, but I think it's something that many people who've been in churches for a long period of time uh, may have experienced is that there tends to be somehow more credibility given, more time given, more energy given to those people who donate a lot of money to the church. And so this can be a bit of a reverse. So many people who end up on elder boards are those that are seen as invested because they've given a lot of money to the church. But is there maybe some warning signals in that as well? Uh, yeah, I would say that those who flaunt their wealth probably shouldn't be on a board. Uh, that's why the, the really uh, mature Christians who have a lot of money, you never know that they have it. Right. Yeah, you really don't. You and, don't. But so. there is a sense in which uh, across the board, money really end up can uh, it can put people in positions where they start making the decisions on any number of levels in many different organizations. There's something about it that seems to sort of attract a power. Yeah, well, that's that's where I was going to go with this. Money in our in our society equals power. Uh, that's why you'll see, uh, uh, especially older guys who have a lot of money, they always have some young arm, can arm candy around mm, them, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's because that money attracts power. It attracts certain elements in our society that in other societies in, in days past it probably wouldn't attract. 
Yeah, I see another lesson out of Ecclesiastes 5 here, Bill. It's your third one, that wealth can be hoarded. And as it is hoarded, it actually brings harm to the owner. And this seems yes. a little counterintuitive yeah. because there's a sense in which, gosh, if I can just make sure I have enough and everything is sustained, as we've talked about earlier this morning, I'll be healthy and prosperous. But that kind of hoarding actually brings harm, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, three ways that it becomes uh, harmful to the owner. Number one, the wealth becomes unproductive. And you can make wealth productive by either investing it and putting it to work in your business or another business, or you can make it productive by actually giving it back to the kingdom of God mm. and and reproducing that way. The five loaves and two fishes comes to mind there. And so you make your wealth productive. Just don't sit on it, because if you just sit on it, that's me. That's my phone. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> mute it this morning. Uh, but if you, if you sit on it, it, it will become a preoccupation, because then you'll be worried about how you keep it safe. And how do you make sure that it's still there because you don't want it to go away? And you see extremely wealthy people oftentimes spend a lot of time and money on securing their money and their wealth. And to me, that's just that's just a, a vicious cycle that, that you don't want to get into. Uh, third way, real quick, uh, Ecclesiastes says it could also become lost. And when it becomes lost through like theft, fire, government action, bad economy, whatever, wealth can go away pretty quick. And so... It, it can harm the owner if you hoard it. Well, I think what's fascinating about your insights into this, Bill, is that when I think about uh, maybe being up at night with a bit of anxiety about the money, it sounds like it can be coming from two different angles. One is if you're wondering where uh, the next paycheck is going to come from or where your food is going to There can be a lot of worry and anxiety, understandably so, about that. But it sounds like for people who have been hoarding their wealth and have a lot of wealth, they also might be up at night worrying that it's going to go away tomorrow. So it just it does speak that uh, having enough money is not necessarily the the calming of the soul we want it to be. And uh, and it's just, boy, this whole thing is tricky, isn't it? You know, Proverbs, give me neither poverty nor riches, right? Another passage in Proverbs, give me my daily bread. There's something to be said for not being extremely poor and not being extremely rich, just being kind of a middle-of-the-road guy. And, yeah, you got maybe a little bit of money, but you know you're always going to have to work, and you know you're never going to be financially independent, a la how I've defined that here earlier. And you know that your life is really in God's hands and we're only here for a few days and then we're we're like a wisp and we go away. And so why should we worry so much about wealth? You know, I'm in the university setting week in and week out, Bill, and with the spiraling costs of university education, That's I mean, horrible. it's, it's gone through the roof. And part of what I've seen in the rippling effect of that is the impact on families as they're raising their kids. There has been so much energy devoted to and given to trying to build the resume of our children so that there's enough money moving forward for them to go to college or maybe get a scholarship. And at ages five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, kids are incredibly overscheduled just to try to get them into whether it's music or a sport or some sort of academic field that ultimately 10, 12, 15 years down the road will provide some kind of academic scholarship. I mean, we are worrying about money and it's driving things on so many different levels, again, for understandable reasons. And yeah, yeah boy, oh boy, yeah. is there a stronghold here in this whole thing? Well, there is. And, and the debt that these kids come out of college with is, um, in my estimation, immoral. Yeah. It's just what we're doing to our younger generation. I'm talking globally now. What we're doing to our younger generation by putting them into debt to get an education, I, I think, is immoral. It's, it's, uh, it's not, it would be hard to justify that 
on biblical grounds. Now, look, I know all the admission counselors, and look, we we're on the we're on the radio that's owned by a Christian college, of course. Right? So of course. I, I'm cognizant of that. Yeah. But all the admission counselors, I'm sure, are crying. Wait a minute, kids go to a four-year college; they are going to be able to earn more money, so forth and so on. I get all of that. Then there's got to be a better way to do the four-year uh, private college than simply putting the kids in debt. There's got to be a better way. And as a church, and I'm talking global here, uh, at least uh, across America, uh, as a as a body of Christ, we need to figure this out because we have guys coming out of seminary, forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars in debt. Well, what are they going to do with an MDiv and eighty thousand of debt? Yeah, you know what? What are they going to do? Absolutely, and, and they're, they're, they're going to go work for UPS. Is what they're going to do. Absolutely, and, and the and the debt load is uh, so substantial that it often crushes even possibilities for them moving forward. And to your point, and working at the University of Northwestern St. Paul here, I know that there are so many efforts afoot to try to figure out how can we make this more affordable. Things just spiraled uh, beyond almost anybody's control in some ways that people just even foresee. And now there's this backpedaling that we need to do because the university education is, and and can be such a beautiful place to really learn and grow. Thing. It's a wonderful thing. But, you know, the the admission counsel over at Bethel told me, look, he says, the average student coming out of Bethel has 38000 in debt. That's a lot. I, you know, that's a that's a nice BMW, if you ask me. <laughs> well, more point to get to here out of Ecclesiastes, Bill, and that is uh, what is good and proper out of verses 18 through 20 and finding satisfaction in one's labor. Yeah, you know, when God gives us wealth, whatever he gives us, Ecclesiastes say we should be content with it and we should enjoy it and we should accept our lot in life. Thank God for what we have. We're only here for a few days. After that, we go to heaven. Let's focus on the real treasure, the treasures that we're laying up for ourselves in heaven. Let that motivate us. And let's just use money here as a tool to get through this life. But don't really worry about amassing a lot of wealth here. It's all going to go away at some point anyways. Mm. Well, thanks as always for your insight here on a Wednesday morning and just your faithfulness to the show over all these years. We really appreciate what you bring each Wednesday morning here on Faith Radio Morning. You're welcome. Take a break here for Breakpoint Next and some bottom of the hour news and preview what's coming up in the second half of this hour for Faith Radio Mornings.